I hope you're having a great day. It was 2.30 or so this morning when I got up, write the talk. You can tell I don't do anything at the last minute. Um, but I was really, I was excited. I've been working on this, the thoughts, to put it all together for the last couple of weeks. And I thought, well, I'll write it uh, early this morning. I love getting up early. Um, it was about the time my phone went off. And it said storms were rolling through. Lightning, high winds. It was going to be a doozy. I, I pulled up my app and I, I looked at it and I saw all the yellows, the oranges, the blues. Um, it pretty much like a rainbow. It was all coming. It was fun to listen and to watch the lightning flash through the windows. And then out of the corner of my eye, my phone went off again. It wasn't an alert. It was from Messenger. What crazy person would be up at three in the morning? I mean, besides me. It was a name I'd never seen before. Telemarketer. No, it wasn't. It was just his name. I, I didn't know what it was. But the opening line, my messenger just shows one line. Yours may show everything. Mine just set up, show one line. And it started with these words. Hello, we bought a house. I'm sorry, but I'm a sucker for a good story and I wanted to know more. I figured they'd want to refinance my place or do something special with it, but it, it started, we bought a house. So I clicked on it, and it said, in Stockbridge, Michigan, your family may have owned it once. Oh, my word. Now, it may not seem like much, but I just got all excited. Oh. See, I was born in Detroit. But Stockbridge is home. So I said, what's the address? I mean, I didn't want to be taken in by some crazy scam. And I waited. I didn't write any of this talk. I just waited. And it came back. 2601 M52 North. We've lived here longer I can't tell you the address without looking at a cheat sheet where I live today. But I can tell you where I grew up. And I thought, wow. That's it. And she sent me all these questions. Bunches of them. She didn't ask about Daisy. That was our dog. Sherry said, if I, this morning I told her, I had tears stream, streaming down my cheeks. I'm thinking about family and loved ones. And she's saying, if you cry, I'll bring you tissue. I said, I won't. I'm good. I'm fine. See, she's got it. She brought it. You may need to just hand it up over so she didn't have to walk all this way up. Um, I thought about my sister, my brothers. I thought about the barn, rows of corn, bailing hay. A garden. I didn't like to be in the garden often, but I remembered it. <laughs> My mom's kind of OCD. It could be where I get it. I think I see a weed that may be thinking to grow. Please pull that too. Um, I thought all that stuff. Dirt clods. We throw at my little brother. 
He wasn't allowed to tell because we then hit him again. Um, I thought of apples, planting trees. It was amazing. I remembered. It's like, wow, this is cool. So she says, oh, yeah, I want to know about the barn. I, I painted on it when I was 16. She wanted to know about that. She wanted to know about the paintings in the basement, which I didn't do. They were there years and years and years and years and years ago. They think people that worked the farm once, they had quite a few and a couple more artistic, and they did some paintings on the walls in the basement. Um, she asked about the cistern. If you know about a cistern, you dig it, pour concrete, you make walls, and when it rains, it fills up with water, and you have water. It never worked when we were there, but I remember it. We'd get in it and climb around and hide on my mom. Right about chore time or dishes, we'd hide there. Um, We'd send my little brother and sister in there, and then we'd leave. They couldn't get out real easily. That was a great fun, too. Um, so all these memories just came flooding back. At the end, she wrote this. Our kids and grandkids love that place, too. There's lots of laughter in these walls. I thought, wow, this is amazing. And then I thought about the storm blowing through, and I realized in Michigan it would be snowing, which it was. And it's still cold, and spring's not going to be for a while. It wasn't here last week either, like Greg said, but it kind of arrived this week, like this morning, just now, <laughs> with 200-mile-an-hour winds that are blowing it in. If you're not very, you know, if you're not grounded to the floor like I am, I've kind of gotten bigger since I was in high school, um, it may blow you down the street in a way, so be careful when you leave. But springtime's coming there. Slowly. And the flowers will come out, and we will we'll be so excited that God is rebirthing the world. And it's coming apart at the seams, it seems, but all these things keep happening. And it grows, and it gets more and more beautiful each and every spring. And I take a little bit more time to watch it and to kind of just soak it in. I don't know why. So it changed my talk a little bit. It adjusted it. It tweaked it. I was kind of nostalgic, a little melancholy. And I think that's good. So it's not hellfire and brimstone, because that's the one I was starting. No. <laughs> but it's a little different, because I think it's important that we remember. I wish from up front we could just turn on a heat lamp when it is cold and you could just kind of soak it up and warm up when it's cold. And when it's really, really hot out, I wish we could do something up here to change things. But I think God's in control of all that, so it may be a little tougher for us to make huge and massive changes. We've got a lot of talk about that these days, that we can do all of this stuff. I think we give ourselves way too much credit. It may be God, not enough credit. But soon, winter will pass. And spring will take over. The weatherman had promised us a few weeks ago, and the groundhog assured us, 
in Scripture is challenged us that we're to tarry just a little while longer. And early this morning, I thought about that word, tarry, a little longer. I thought, sometime during this week, while you're in an office, in a meeting with your boss, just throw it out there to the group. Maybe we should tarry a little longer. See how that goes over. You might use it, you know, kids in class this week with your teacher. I'm sure that a few teachers would love to hear you say, we're tearing a little longer. I'm not really sure what it means, but I know it's important. It says we should, we should do it. I think you should do it if you're in school, like right before the bell rings. Let us tarry a little longer. Take a long look at the gospel, because we're nearing the end of it. It's been about a year journey, and we're, yeah, Rich, if you can't, keep her quiet. <laughs> look at Grandpa and just say, we're going to tarry a little longer. <laughs> That's great. All the kids, yeah, we're tarrying longer here. I think that'd be great when you go to Walmart. Mom, we're going to tarry a little longer here in the candy aisle. Yeah. But today we're going to be with the disciples. We're going to sit right here while they recline with Jesus. It's a celebration. We're going to talk about the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And it is an absolute celebration. A lot of Bibles say it's the Last Supper. That's perfect hindsight. It's a wonderful thing. You can look back and say, ah, the Last Supper. They didn't know that. It's a supper. And it's a celebratory supper. It is big time. It is huge. They're about to celebrate Passover. Caleb, can we say Matthew 5, 18? Should be the first. He says, yes, it is. See, that's good. I, I got up early enough, and I still made this work. We'll see how the rest of it goes, though. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Can I read that again? Because I think it's going to be the crux of what we study today. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. I think sometimes we've got an idea of just how it's all supposed to be. See, we heard it a long time ago, and this is the way it's written, and it's the way it's got to be, and you can't change any of that stuff. because, And yet it says not even the smallest detail. Maybe it means we should study it more. More often, more routinely, more regularly, and maybe with more and more fervor as I watch the news at night. Maybe there's something that God's still trying to help me understand. The words of Jesus remind me that there are small details that we might search out so we may better understand God's love and grace, that we might understand his son's accomplishment through total surrender and trust in his father. As we consider, as Paul describes it, the mystery of Christ. Christ is about to turn the Passover celebration, which at the time had been dutifully and religiously kept. He will now turn it upside down on its head. 
and will radically change it. Or will he? Is he just achieving the details that he set out to achieve? And maybe through it all, it finally came to that point in history for him to twist it a little. To change the meaning just enough so we would get a better glimpse of who he and God are. Let's read the passage. It's a little long, but I think it reads quickly enough and we're familiar enough with it that it won't get you too far off. It's the passage of Mark, Caleb. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? There's a lot of people that read this, and as we go into this a little bit more, think that somehow he mystically saw this. More and more Bible scholars read and study and try and undo the mystery. They say, no, he... He had those disciples in various cities, and he was in Jerusalem a fair amount. He would sneak in sometimes, in and out, and we get glimpses of this throughout Scripture, and they feel like he just, he had those disciples within Jerusalem that he had already contacted, and this guy knew it was going to go on. There had been a conversation. So Jesus says, go to this guy, and he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Many believe that this, if it is on the Mount of Olives, if it is near where they believe it probably took place, it is only a stone's throw away from Caiaphas. So they go at night. He knows it's dangerous. But this Passover is really important. It's going to happen a little bit before traditional Passover is going to happen. He's once again tweaked it just a little bit. But he's going to go into Jerusalem. And he himself will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. The disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. As they were reclining, which was the custom, they would recline at the table eating. Jesus said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Megan talked about this kind of Spartan language of Mark. He doesn't give us lots of details. He's kind of doing this 30,000 foot overview. He's giving us the, the high points. And he doesn't just point out Judas. He's talking to Greeks. He's sharing this whole idea with the Greeks. And he's giving pulling a little bit of detail out and just giving you these high points. And I think there's a lot to be learned maybe in the high points. One who is eating with me. Oh, they began to be grieved and say to him, one by one, surely it's not I. And he said to them, it is the one of the 12 who dips with me in the bowl. Once again, not revealing it's Judas. But he does say this, for the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. While they were eating, he took some bread. After a blessing, he broke it. And gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. We're starting to switch and change 
the Passover concept. We have talked about it, and now we're adding in some detail that it's going to take us into a new covenant. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant. Jews wouldn't drink blood of the covenant from a person. This is totally, this is such a radical concept. Jews would never drink human blood. So he's done some shock value here to them because their, their sensibility would say, no, wait, 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 wait. I'm not sure I want to drink this. But he goes on and he tells them the importance of this. Truly I say to you, I will never drink of the fruit of the vine until it is that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They don't think this is very far away. It's all close in proximity. The upper room, the Mount of Olives, Caiaphas isn't very far. And yet there's a celebration going on. Now, we look at it often as not very celebratory. We kind of get this ominous sense, but we've read the whole story. They've not read it. So Jesus is going to share with them this amazing story of the Passover what it meant. It was common, the retelling of the story of deliverance. Christ as the head would have told it. It's amazing to realize we are only hours away from his betrayal, an arrest, a mock trial, the sentence of death by crucifixion, the offer of release and pardon, for sins against the law and the state, sins that Christ had done, allegedly. There was an offer. It was revoked by a mob. They were comprised, the mob of church leaders and churchgoers. They cried, crucify him. But yes, they would first celebrate as they remember God's mighty right hand the very hands that have formed man out of the earth. And knowing that it would be best that man not be alone, he had fashioned a partner for man. He had fashioned woman. He then, God, allowed them to rest and spend their first day not in a temple or on a mountaintop, but they celebrated it in a space called time. He'll meet us at a special time. The creator God, seeing all that he had made, had said it was good. Good. Very good. He rested not because he was tired. He rested. The richness and relationship that they needed, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they received first. And out of that rest, then they worked. Don't forget he made work. Some of us need to remember it some days, I think. 
It's also a blessing. Adam unfortunately fails to hold his end of the bargain up when it comes to work. It's interesting, the word that is called and referred to as guard is only read guard when talking about an angel. Same word is given to Adam in Genesis. And that word is translated watch. I think our writers were trying to be kind to Adam maybe a little bit. But he was to guard the garden. He didn't do so. And a certain serpent came up. Maybe if he had guarded it better, that might not have happened. I don't know. It's happened, so it's only speculation and thought, conjecture. But Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden. The angel with the sword is told to watch, or we translate it guard, the garden. The entrance into Eden. As mankind multiplied in numbers, so did evil. In the book of Exodus, Moses is given the Ten Commandments. God himself writes them with his finger. And we're told to do what with the fourth one? We're told to remember it. <clears throat> because man by this time had already forgotten it. They had forgotten more about the creator than actually the day. But they'd forgotten about the creator. And by the time we get to the fifth book, what's the fifth book? Uh, yeah, Deuteronomy. Do you know what it means? The word literally means second law. God gives a law again. Why? Because these generations had forgotten it. They had been enslaved for 430 years. Enslaved by Pharaoh. Captive. And now they're free. And God tells Moses to tell the new generation, maybe we could learn something old generation, maybe we need to remind a few people about him. How he delivered them from Pharaoh. And to once again remind them who he was. And he did so by telling them about his character as revealed through the Ten Commandments, the law. Do you know they read exactly the same, except for the fourth? The fourth reads differently. Let's read the first. It'll be in Deuteronomy. Anybody pick up a word? Very first word. It's not remember the Sabbath. It's observe. It's a different word, and we're going to get to that in a second. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then it keeps going the same, but it changes again. Let's read the next slide, Caleb. Should be Deuteronomy 5.15. You have that one? This is the Sabbath. It keeps going. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. You ever read the fourth commandment and have this in it? 
We don't usually because we read it from Exodus. But this is what Deuteronomy says. The Lord says to Moses, And the Lord your God brought you out of the, excuse me, of there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Does he change it or does he amplify it? Does he help us understand what it was all about anyway? They missed it the first time. They quit remembering it. And now he kind of amplifies this whole idea. And he tells us to observe it. And he tells us that the Lord, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. What does observe mean? Let's look at what observe means. Observance. I love what Webster says. I don't know if he got into God's mind or not, but I think maybe he was inspired a little bit. It's the action or practice of fulfilling the requirements of law, morality, or ritual. This is more important to me, though, synonyms, because I'm good with just the word observance. It kind of sounds biblical, but I love the synonyms. In fact, Caleb, why don't you bring up the next one that has them kind of amplified, those synonyms? Because these are the ones I want to see. Is there one more that doesn't do that? This is where I fell asleep again. Um, the words that I, I amplify are celebration and festival. Those are synonyms to observe. Passover, celebration, observe, Sabbath. It's a celebration. It's a festival. Do you know how I kind of was told about it? It was fulfilling the requirements of the law. I didn't get any of the other kind of fluffy words. I got, we're going to require to observe the law, and you're going to do it now. Boom. It hurt the top of my head to observe sometimes. And that's okay. But I've come to understand it's a celebration. It's a festival. It connects back with this idea of Passover, which is huge, huge, huge for us to remember. There's a little bit more detail. There may be a better vision. And what was the festival for? And so the children of Israel could understand it was something they could not do. Free themselves from Pharaoh. But God could and did. I started wondering, had the Israelites made inferior bad bricks? No, they made wonderful bricks. They made amazing bricks. They made more bricks than anybody knew what to do with. They were building cities. And if you know the story, they were building cities so they could pile in the riches of Egypt. And Pharaoh wanted more cities. And all they were doing was building these huge storage areas. It was Amazon early on. They were going to build all these great distribution centers like Walmart might and fill them with all the goods. And the wind blew. You know, as I got to thinking about that, it's not unlike us. We try and we try and we try and we try to do what we've been asked to do. And no matter how hard we try, Pharaoh went and said, you're going to make these bricks with a little less straw and a little less this. And you're going to work harder and longer and stronger. And the harder they worked, the more enslaved they were. 
And do you know when I try and keep the law, sometimes I end up in the same, very same place. I work so hard, and I think I'm getting really close, and somebody takes a little straw away. And it takes me more time and more effort and more work to try and make that law perfect, at least in my sight. The demand was more, and they could not do it. The people tried, but in vain. The taskmasters required more, and they worked harder and sweat harder and couldn't accomplish it until God delivered them. Just as we who try to keep the law will ultimately fail. Romans 8 talks all about it. We'll get there in a minute, but first I'd like to read from Galatians 5.1 because I think this kind of wraps it up. So Christ has truly set us free. Truly set us free. Not, yeah, I feel pretty good. Truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. We'd say, oh, no, no, we wouldn't do that. Good, I do. So you don't need to hear this. I do all the time. I judge myself against... Some of you. Sometimes I pick low-hanging fruit. It's easier. Other times I look at the loftiest of you in here, and all of you could raise your hand to that. And I think, because my bar is often set pretty low, and I think, I just need to be like, you know, I heard that so-and-so failed. Woo-hoo! Man, I'm closer to getting in. One more off the rung. Yes. That's not the way it works. The law demands perfection. Don't become a slave to that. Here's what Romans says. The entire chapter of 8 is amazing, but let's look, listen to this one because it ties much better to what we're doing. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like ours. So none of us gets too worried that, oh, he was perfect. He was perfectly connected. Wow. And he lives sinless. Does it go on, Caleb, a little bit? And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's what the Passover was changing and becoming. We painted the blood over the doorpost so they would pass over. If we didn't, it didn't happen. Some historians say that even some of the Egyptians did, and God honored that. It was blood. It was a sacrifice. Egyptian, I don't know where you come from. I don't know if you're part of the house of David or not. I don't know if you're a Levite. But I'm excited to think we're all covered. So he does this for us. Back to Mark's passage. So now we can see through the details and fulfillment of the law, Jesus' body and his blood shed for me, shed for you. And it was done so in perfect order. 
John 1.9 talks about it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our sin. He was the only one that could do that. You see, I can never be good enough to pay for it. No more than the slaves in Egypt or the disciples reclining at the feet of Jesus could ever be good enough. The Passover, Jesus would have had possibly four cups or four promises, maybe just one cup. But the Jews originally would have had four cups. I would say wine, some would say grape juice. I don't think the Bible stuttered, I think it said wine, but then we would talk about the kind of wine, was it fermented or not? And I'm not so sure it has a recipe anywhere that I can find, so it was wine. You can decide what the details are there. Cup one, what did it promise? promise that Jesus would have reminded them that they had been rescued. Cup two would have promised the understanding of freedom. They were free and no longer slaves. Cup three would have told them about redemption, that they had been restored, not by their own doing, but by God's. Cup four would have told them that it was a relationship, relationship with God and his covenant people. He deviated from tradition. He mentions no lamb. Mark doesn't go into any detail about it. I think we can surmise pretty easy who the lamb was, who the lamb is. His blood, his body counted to me, for me, to God, as my own. All my stuff, all my junk, all my garbage was laid upon him. The memorial now is at the second Adam. He guards my heart. The first Adam didn't guard a garden. The second Adam guards my heart, for he lives there, deep within. It's a new temple where God's spirit will dwell and spend not just one day, but all days, all time, each and every one, for now and forever, as long as he's invited to stay, he will. And what a better time to stop to remember both our creator and our recreation into free, totally free beings. So in love with the lover of our souls that we must celebrate. We can't help it. We will sing. We will praise. We may even dance. For with our God, our God who loves beyond compare, today, today has been blessed above all others. For it is the acceptable day to accept him. It was by decree and through his mighty hand of deliverance that we have been saved. And we are no longer slaves.